You're listening to Radio MD. It's time to Ask Dr. Mike on Healthy Talk. Call or email to ask your questions now. Email Smith at RadioMD.com or call 877-711-5211. The lines are open. Oh, my good friend Bart Taylor has sent me a couple questions, so I'm going to answer Bart's question. Bart uh, is a longtime listener of Healthy Talk. He's uh, Bart, forgive me, I can't remember if you are a PA student or if you actually are a certified physician assistant and you're out practicing. I can't remember which one, but Bart is, uh, you know, really trying to bring natural medicine into uh, what probably is a very conventional, you know, uh, uh, you know, practice uh, working with a physician. So, um, and, and he doesn't have a lot of places to go, so he sends me a lot of questions. And so I would like more Bart Taylor. Send me... If you, maybe you're a student, maybe uh, you're taking a physiology class, uh, maybe you have a have a child that needs some extra B vitamins and you want to know which ones. I mean, just send me your questions. You can be detailed, short and quick. You can be autonomous. Doesn't really matter. Ask Dr. Mike Smith at RadioMD.com. Bart's questions. I sometimes feel like a mad scientist in my own personal experiments as I mix together several supplements into a drink and toss it back. Currently, before I go out for my hikes, I'll mix L-carnitine, D-ribose, MSM, that's methyl sulfonylmethane, for those that don't know, it's great for joints and stuff, and natural calm together in a drink. It actually tastes okay. I feel like I can actually hike and climb longer with lower heart rates when I take this. The question is this, are there supplements that should never be mixed together? So, Bart, let's see. Never mix together. Uh, there's two different ways to approach answering this question, of course, of course Bart, and, and this is something you can take to your, to your own uh, PA practice. Um, in, in, when, when, when you're thinking of this, you know, not mixing things together, you're either thinking about it from what we call a pharmacokinetic um, perspective, how something is digested, how it's absorbed, distributed throughout the body, eliminated it in you know urine, feces, what have you. Um, so that's one perspective. So if I mix things together, am I changing what we call the kinetics of that compound, how it absorbs, eliminates all that stuff? On the other hand, you could you could answer it from a from an interactive type perspective. Is it going to heighten the response of the drug, lower the response or effect of the drug? That's called pharmacodynamics. So I can answer this from a kinetic standpoint or a dynamic uh, com- uh, pers- perspective, more like a chemistry perspective versus an actual biological effect perspective. So I'm going to f- answer this, I think, because I think this is what you mean by mixing different things together is a, a kinetic, a pharmacokinetic perspective, Bart. Um, so let me start there, and, and then I will go into some, some dynamic uh, comparison. So uh, right off the top of my head, calcium, zinc, and magnesium, when you take them together, mixed together like in a drink or something, you got to be careful there because calcium blocks uh, the absorption of zinc and magnesium. Um, and, and so and, and there are companies that still manufacture, uh, manufacture them together. Um, the effect is mostly on zinc. I mean, I've seen calcium decrease zinc uh, absorption by upwards of 20-25%. Uh, a little bit less effect on magnesium. So, you know, magnesium-calcium mixture is probably okay. You might lose maybe 5 maybe 10% of the magnesium. 
but uh, calcium does interfere with those two other nutrients. Uh, another one would be creatine and glutamine. Um, they don't affect uh, each other's absorption. It's when they get to the cell level. You have these things called co-transporters. These are cell surface proteins, Bart, that uh, are used to bring things in, uh, and these are kind of specific um, proteins. So they only grab things with certain charges, certain shapes, and pull them into the cell. And it turns out that creat uh, creatine and glutamine use the same co-transporters, and they end up competing with each other. So if you take them together right at the same time, you, you could lose a uh, little bit of, of a cellular effect of, of one or the other. Uh, uh, vitamin E and iron, we know iron can disrupt vitamin E's absorption, so you got to be careful with that combination. So there's, I mean, those are probably the big ones. I, there might be some other ones out there, Bart, but um, those are the ones that come to my head. Now, what about the, the pharmacodynamic uh, interactions where, you know, you take something and it increases the effect or decreases the effect uh, of a drug? Um, you, know, uh, you know, take uh, adaptogenic herbs, and what I call sympathetic hormones like DHEA, the androgens, basic testosterone. Uh, androgens like DHEA can be stimulating for people, and some of the adaptogens are stimulating. So you get a heightened stimulatory effect. So, for example, I would never start somebody on a combination of rhodiola and DHEA right off the bat because that might overstimulate them a little bit. Although that that is a pres prescription, that is a suggestion for adrenal fatigue. Uh, but I would usually start them with one or the other and add the one slowly over time to avoid that overstimulation. Um, so adaptogens and sympathetic uh, hormones uh, you have to watch out for. Um, I mean, that's I, there's might be some other ones, but those are the ones that, that come to my head, Bart, and I, I definitely appreciate the question. Um, but from, from a practicing perspective, um, if you're a student out there, because I know I have some... Um, Students who listen to the show, um, you know, medical students, naturopathic students. Uh, whenever you think of interactions, think in terms of kinetics versus dynamics. Am I affecting absorption, distribution, elimination, bioavailability, or am I affecting dynamics, how, how that drug is actually working, the mechanism of action? So that's how you break it up in your brain. Okay, Bart has another question. I like this one, Bart, because uh, it's more of a, I, my answer is more in theory. <laughs> so, everyone is taking probiotics these days. As I understand it, the small intestine is, to, is supposed to be almost sterile, and the colon is supposed to be lined with the desirable probiotic bacteria. Uh, more is being talked about small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Uh, where the normally uh, bacteria-free small intestine becomes overgrown with bacteria, which seems to cause people gas and bloating problems. I'm unclear. If we swallow large amounts of bacteria, how is it that most people don't develop small intestinal bacterial overgrowth? Yeah, so you're right. Um, we, you know, Bart, we are covered in the probiotics from our throat to the anus. So there are some uh, beneficial bacteria in, in the small bowel. It's not completely sterile, especially as you move distally. Approximately, it is sterile. Uh, you know, as the stomach dumps into the, dist, uh, the proximal small bowel, uh, it's sterile there without a doubt. And I'm going to explain why, and which, which answers your question. And I think it's a good answer. <laughs> 
but as you move distally towards the colon, you start to see a little bit of it. Uh, so, so the so the entire small intestine is not perfectly sterile, but the proximal part is. And here's why I think, um, and, and this answers your question, Bart. Why do when people take probiotics, how come we don't see more cases of intestinal overgrowth, uh, small bowel overgrowth? That's because in the in the small bowel, especially right after the stomach, that's what we call proximal, right? Uh, the proximal small bowel has a layer of bicarbonate. And it's the bicarbonate layer that protects any seeping of acid from the stomach into the small bowel. It's an extremely important layer. Without that uh, ability to buffer some of the juices coming from the stomach into the small bowel, the cells of the proximal small bowel would die and you would have absorption problems. So I think the reason we don't see more cases of SIBO, that's small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, is because of the bicarbonate layer that's protecting the small bowel. So you have the acid in the stomach that protects and keeps it sterile. In the small bowel, it's the opposite and it's a bicarbonate level that protects the small bowel. So that's pro- it's probably an acid-based chemistry thing that keeps us from having overgrowth of, of probiotic bacteria in places, Bart, that we don't want them. Great, great question. This is Healthy Talk on Radio MD. I'm Dr. Mike. Stay well.